What do you think of Satan Bull? Two boys were uh, coming home from church and had heard uh, some mention of Satan or the devil and one of them asked the other one, what do you think of this devil? I don't know about that. And the other one said, oh, it's okay. It's just dad, just like with Santa Claus. (laughs) Do you believe in Satan or the devil? Do you believe in him? Jesus did. Do you think of him much? Jesus did. Do you know how to have victory over Satan? Jesus did. Have you experienced victory over Satan? Jesus did. In our culture today, it's common to act like there's no evil supernatural world. Or if there is, that as humans we can somehow control it and have mastery over it, whether it be through our sacrifices of food and money or through our use of tarot, horoscope, and even witchcraft. The more common attitude is that there's no devil, there's no Satan, there's nothing to worry about. And that leads to a dangerous complacency that we can absorb as well, we God's people can absorb. And it's a complacency that our passage in Ephesians chapter 6 today warns against. So the first point to see is to recognise that the devil is your enemy. People like to dress up as devils for fancy dress things. Our local rugby league team even proudly names itself after the devil. But in the Bible, the devil or Satan, as another name he's known as, is never benevolent. He's never kind. He's never uh, considered in the same breath as something that's fun and relaxing as, and good. Jesus calls him the father of lies. He's no friend but an enemy. Look how Paul describes him there in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6. He says, put on the full armour of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see there, he talks about the devil's schemes. The devil has schemes, they're schemes against God's people, which are schemes which are so dangerous that you see we need the full armour of God, the, the power of God, if we're going to take our stand against them. And notice that Satan has his helpers, his minions who feature there in verse 12, the the powers for evil in this world and in the heavenly realms. When you hear heavenly realms there, think of the the spiritual realm where the, the risen Jesus now reigns. We're told at the beginning of Ephesians that Jesus... Uh, in a a display of great power, uh, the Father raised Jesus and seated him in the heavenly realms, far above every, and these words again, ruler, authority, powers in the spiritual realm. Jesus has had a victory and he rules over all other powers in the heavenly realms, whether evil or good. Further on in our passage, we saw when we read it how Paul urges prayer for all, all Christians. So I don't think these schemes, these serious opponents, uh, are just for people unfortunate enough to come into contact with someone experiencing some demon possession. That's pretty rare in our culture. 
Now, these schemes are enacted against all Christians. Paul, you'll see, says to pray for all of the Lord's people in this context. So what might they look like, these schemes? Well, they're going to be in the everyday temptations to sin, to doubt, to be discouraged by God. Or when people are persecuted. Because ultimately Satan's goal is for you to give up your faith or to cause division or harm amongst Christ's people. Have a glance. Trust you've still got the Bible open at page 1009. Have a look over in chapter 4 and have a look how uh, some obvious things that really break up relationships in families and in churches are given uh, the devil as uh, the person who will use them. Verse 25 of chapter 4 in Ephesians. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour for all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. You see that? If you don't, he's saying you don't deal, you don't speak truthfully and treat each other in that way. And if you don't deal with your anger, but you let it fester and get worse, uh, let the sun go down, in other words, to the next day, you give the devil a foothold and the devil will work on that. You love nothing more than to break up a church and have a church bitter and divided over something. Because what happens when a church is bitter and divided over something? People leave and fall away. Uh, the church stops being outward and doing things like chasm and, and all that sort of stuff because they can't get on well enough to do anything like that. It's one of his schemes. Satan and his agent's goal is for us to give up on our faith or for such division and harm to be caused among Christ's people that Christ's kingdom will be damaged. I love the description the Apostle Peter writes to believers suffering persecution that might cause them to give up on their faith. So in his first letter, the Apostle Peter says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. If you don't think you're in any danger from the devil, then he is actually already one, because he will more likely be able to get in and be successful with one of his schemes. You'll be ineffective as a Christian, that's if you even make it to the end. So instead of ignoring the devil, the New Testament urges us to recognise he's very real and that since he is our enemy, we have a very real immediate need to look to the Lord's help to stand against him. Which leads to my second point, defeat the devil by putting on the armour of God. You've all heard that one of the reasons that the Germans lost World War II is that they lost the battle with Russia. And the reason they lost the battle on the Russian front was because of their arrogance in thinking that the war with the Russians, which they started in June of 1941, would be over by September. So when the European winter came, the German soldiers were ill-equipped 
to uh, fight in situations of freezing winter snows. In May 1942, Winston Churchill was mocking Hitler over what he called Hitler's first blunder of invading Russia. There is a winter, you know, in Russia. For a good many months, the temperature is apt to fall very low. There is snow, there is frost and all that. Hitler forgot about this Russian winter. He must have been very loosely educated. We all heard about it at school, but he forgot it. I've never made such a bad mistake as that. (laughs) I wonder if that added to the uh, ferocity of the Blitz when Hitler sent his planes in Churchill's direction later in the war. When the German army went into battle in in June of 1941, without enough woolen hats, enough gloves, enough long johns and coats, Christians are different. We'd be foolish to think that we could enter the spiritual battle without divine protection and equipping. And the wonderful thing in this passage is there's an optimism. You sort of, when you read it at first, you, with this talk of uh, rulers and authorities and powers of the dark world, you can think, oh, this is pretty scary and creepy stuff. But the tone of the passage is an optimism because Paul is saying that the devil can be resisted, that we can stand firm because God has provided all the necessary resources for the battle. You see it in verse 13. Therefore, given this spiritual battle, given the truth of the devil, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Defeating the devil and his agents in their schemes to separate Christ's followers from him involves putting on the full armour of God. Christ has already defeated the devil at the cross. We've already been saved from judgment and death. We now have a place in Christ's eternal kingdom. But until Christ returns, while the devil is prowling around like a lion, seeing who he can devour and steal from Christ, the goal for us is to stand firm in our faith. And given the reality of the struggle, we need help. Notice we're not urged to win the victory ourselves, but to withstand the pressures and stay close to the victor, who is Christ himself. And Paul's image is based on the uniform of the Roman soldiers. So if you have a look uh, in your Bibles from verse uh, 14 onwards, as I uh, try and summarise the ideas there. God helps us defeat the devil and his agents by providing truth, the belt of truth, to hold on to. We we hold on to God's word and his promises when things are hard or when we're faced with a false teaching. We think about, we've got the truth. He has also given us the breastplate of righteousness to live by. By righteousness there, it means the way to live in imitation of Christ. It means godly living. We're to keep living, rightly seeking to imitate Christ so we won't be sucked into harmful behaviour and activity which take us away from Christ. We're to live uh, with the gospel of peace, our feet fitted with the gospel of peace to give us a, a foundation and a solid base 
where we can remind ourselves and others of the salvation we have in Christ. We need to take up the shield of faith, the big shield that the Roman soldiers had, and they would uh, dampen it, they would wet it, so that the flaming arrows of their enemies couldn't find a home. Well, our faith in Christ is our shield. It can help us through hard times when you might be tempted to give up on the Lord. But you trust and you know his love. We've just had the Lord's Supper to remind us of his love and we we hold on to that. And we have the helmet of salvation. Over our life is the knowledge of God saving us through Christ and raising us with Christ now so that we have a place reserved in heaven. And, And that helmet can protect us from all the things that might assail us. We are Christ and we have a certain hope, a certain future. And then he says to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Notice he's moved to a sword now, so it's not so much a defensive weapon. It's more an offensive weapon. What do we do with that? Well, we attack Satan's realm by sharing the gospel so that more people might be, as we say in our church vision, might be transferred from Satan's to the kingdom of Christ. Reminds us again, can I say again, of the value of our unstuck night with Sam Chan on the 14th of May. Sam's going to help us in this culture which doesn't want to think about Christ, going to help us to think about how we can bring the good news of Christ to people, how we can better wield the sword of the Spirit. Where these truths and you will successfully stand firm against Satan. That's the confidence of this passage. Wear these truths and you will successfully stand against Satan when he tempts you to give up on Christ by doubt. There's times of doubt, things are hard in your life and difficult and you start to doubt Christ. Well, remember that belt of truth, those truths that you already know. When I'm feeling doubt... I go through a little thing in my head about, did Christ die? Yes. Did he rise again? Yes. That's the best explanation of the empty tomb and of the change in life of the disciples and Paul. And that helps me go, so what are you going to do about it? I'm going to keep believing. Okay, get on with it. Doubt, the belt of truth. Discouragement. Things in our life discourage us. You're trying to serve Christ and things don't seem to work out or or people let you down and and hurt you. What what do you need then? Well, God doesn't seem to be... He just seems to have one thing after another. You're discouraged. Well, grab your shield of faith to remind you of, of God's love. Remember it. You face danger. What do you need in danger? You need the helmet of salvation. I am safe for eternity because of what Christ has done for me. You're disappointed with God. Well, again, I'd grab the shield of faith and maybe the helmet of salvation because that reminds you, gives you a hope of where you're headed. He's got things in control. Maybe you're disobedient or you're tempted to be disobedient. What do you need there? Well, the breastplate of righteousness. You, you want to live like Christ. You know, then, the choice you need to make you're dealing with deceptive and, and false teaching. Where's my belt again? Where's the belt of truth? To, is this right? Is this true? Does this match what the Bible says? 
And there's that disparagement that comes from persecution where you really feel hurt. Well, at those times, you really need your feet fitted with the gospel of peace, don't you? Reminding you of what Christ has done for you and where you are headed. You need the gospel of peace so you can stand firm. I'm not saying it's easy. It's definitely not easy. Paul recognises that. He calls it a struggle. But to help us stand, we've been provided with these pieces of armour. And notice we defeat the devil by putting it on, verse 13 again, the full armour of God. Don't make the mistake of thinking, well, I like the helmet of salvation. It really suits me. But I don't really like the breastplate. It's not my, my colours. And people do that, don't they? They love salvation, but the breastplate of righteousness, where you actually need to obey God and do what he says, uh, same, sadly, the, peop- the majority of people I've seen fall away from Christ as a minister in this church are people who uh, make choices about their life and about doing something that God doesn't want them to do And then after a while, self-justifying creeps in. And after self-justifying doubt creeps in. And so if they can say X isn't true, as one person said to me, no, I don't believe in the resurrection. Well, yeah, when you can not believe in the resurrection, then Jesus isn't the Lord. He's not number one. You don't have to do what he says. So you can do what you want. You can ignore promises you've already made in your life and do something else you don't have to feel guilty anymore so put on the full armor of god you need it all if you are to stand against the devil's scheme because the devil is your very real opponent his schemes do play on our doubts our fears our temptations our disappointments so we need to make sure we're grabbing the protective armor how do we do that though how do we practically put on the armor well i reckon one way is what you're doing right now Don't pass up opportunities to meet with other Christians around you, around his word. Church, small group, one-to-one, your own private reading, where you'll be more closely examining the belt of truth, where you'll be trimming and more tightly strapping on the breastplate of righteousness and repenting of things that aren't the right colour, righteousness where you'll be reinforcing and smoothing out the dings in your shield of faith, where you'll be polishing and gazing at the helmet of salvation and all God's glory in in Christ, and where you'll be getting more and better skilled at using your sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We, We need to gather together, don't we, to help ourselves in this putting on of the armour of God. So next time you're too tired for a small group or you've got a better offer for the evening, ask yourself whether you really can afford to miss out on this chance to renew your armour. Are you travelling that well? Or are you thinking Satan has forgotten you? Don't think that. He's out for you. Now a soldier can be fitted with all the right armour but still needs support and the classic Example of that we've seen in movies are the ground troops in Vietnam having air support from the helicopters as they make their assault on an enemy stronghold. Well, it's the same in our spiritual battle. We have air support, which leads to my final point. You defeat the devil as you put on the armour. You defeat the devil by praying. To be strong believers, we need divine protection and equipping. We've seen we need to appropriate God's armour to put it on if we're going to stand firm in the battle. To do that, though, 
requires a life dependent on God in on God in prayer. You notice prayer isn't another uh, piece of armour. It's key for putting on all the armour. That dependence that prayer is, is a far cry, isn't it, from the Army, Navy, Air Force recruiting ads you see on TV. Life looks so exciting in those ads, doesn't it? They never show you those sentry duty, uh, do they? When we're on the night shift. Uh, Andy, one of our 6pm me- me- members, Sometimes I ask, how's work this week? And he says, oh, I've been on night duty. And basically, he, sit, he stands on the ship and makes sure nobody gets on between the hours of 10 and 7 or whatever it is. Doesn't sound real exciting, does it? Or, or in his case, you know, and for his wife Sarah, Andy's currently at sea for six months in his second year of marriage. How hard must that be? But it is, they would say, a life full of action. The Christian life is also to be a life full of action, but it's a life that looks rather passive. But it isn't. It's praying, a life of praying. We defeat the devil by being people of prayer. Paul wants Christians to realise that depending on God in prayer is essential if they're going to engage successfully in their warfare with the powers of darkness. So, defeat the devil by praying. That's what verse 18 here is about. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, with sorry, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer is always in the spirit because it's how we connect with God. And notice there the four alls in the verse. Pray on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, and always keep on praying, and be praying for all people. We are called there to have a life, as you can see, that's a constant life of prayer. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean every doesn't mean every single minute of your life, but it's a it's not something where the first time you've prayed for the week is when you show up at church on Sunday. Uh, it's got to be a daily and and more than daily thing that you're praying. And the reason why it has to be uh, continual is because the powers of darkness in their schemes are constant. Our struggle with the powers of darkness is continual, is never-ending. So we are to keep praying for ourselves and for other Christians to be putting on the armour. You notice we're told to be alert in verse 18. What does he say that for? Well, it's because it's so easy. We can't see the devil. And so it's so easy to be spiritually sleepy and unaware that there is a spiritual battle going on for ourselves and for others. We need to be alert that that's the case, not just forget about it and get on and just get caught up in everyday life. We need to be alert so that we will pray for strength and faith, for a, a deeper grasp of Christ's love, for, for someone to have wisdom to make the godly righteous choice, for someone to have help to use the sword of the Spirit as they share their faith. We need to pray for ourselves and each other to stand firm. And what I want to do now is ask you to, in fact, do that praying 
for ourselves and each other to stand firm. Obviously, uh, people who are sick, uh, so Jackie is going to have her chemo start, her 21-day cycle comes around this Thursday, so we, we pray for her. We pray for Nick Kulikoff. You know, his progress is very slow, recovering from the immune, uh, autoimmune disease. We pray for his faith to be strengthened. And Lubas, his wife, it's hard work. We need to pray for the persecuted church to be strengthened, don't we? And maybe you know someone else uh, whose faith could also uh, do with some strengthening or encouragement or growing. What I want to ask you to do is with someone near you uh, to pray for someone. Just tell each other who you're going to pray for and pray a one-sentence prayer. And if you're not used to praying, that's fine. Just say, I'll pray by myself. And that's cool, all right? But those of you that want, that can, why don't you pray together where you're seated, in pairs or triples. Think of someone who's doing it hard, maybe, who might need strengthened armour. Take a moment to do that now. Well, there's one more little bit of our passage to consider in this area of praying and you see it there in verse 19 Paul calls or asks the Ephesians to pray for the sharing of the gospel you see it there pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The prayer is that non-believers will be struck by the sword, the word of God, and can escape the devil's kingdom into the kingdom of Christ. So Paul, but it's not easy, is it? People don't necessarily want to hear that message. So Paul asks for help, that, they, that God would give him the words to share the gospel with courage. Paul's an ambassador in chains. He's obviously then in prison at the moment, but he wants to take whatever opportunity God gives him to speak clearly and courageously where he can. How do we apply that to ourselves? Well, we have people in our church, don't we, who need the same prayer, don't they? Our SRE teachers on a Tuesday need prayer that they will courageously and clearly explain Jesus to the kids. We also uh, have um, people who lead in other ministries. Let me put up a few. So we have our our Lights Youth Group, uh, where there's kids that come who don't know about Jesus and our leaders need prayer for that they can uh, clearly explain Jesus. Uh, At Dynamite, as Penny and others lead the program, uh, they need prayer for that the third Friday I need prayer because I get to explain Jesus in the informal service and our members to invite their friends on Sunday and in occasional services by occasional services I mean like funerals like tomorrow I need prayer because when you got a whole lot of people looking at you and you're talking about Jesus and you get to the bit that talks about Jesus dying for our sins you remember the day when you got accosted after a funeral by a young man saying, did you say I was a sinner? Yeah, well, the Bible says The Bible says we're all sinners and, and it was quite attacking. So 
there's all sorts of ways in which people particularly aim to proclaim the gospel so people encounter and believe in Jesus as our vision uh, calls us to do. I've lined up a few people who are going to lead us in prayer for these ministries, or some of them, and also for our mission partners like our Anchor RE teachers, our Freshwater Surf Club chaplaincy. However, um, I wasn't clear on exactly when in the service that was going to happen, so we've already thanked God and prayed for Freshwater Surf Club chaplaincy with Joanne's help, and we've also prayed for Anchor RE with Chris's help. So we won't do that again. But anyway, I want to ask those people who've um, said they'll help out at this point in our service uh, by leading us in prayer to uh, come up and do so. So I think uh, Angela and Penny, yep. Well, just to finish up after that good praying we've been doing, the Army Reserve is there for when a conflict occurs. But I hope you've seen today that we're not like the Army Reserve because we're always in a conflict. There's also always a spiritual conflict for us. The devil works through all of life's challenges and brings us opponents that would maybe take us away from strong faith in Christ. But God's provided all the necessary resources for the battle. We need to avail ourselves of them, take them on through prayer. And we've prayed as you've done today, you've prayed for others uh, for their strengthening of faith and their help in situations or their speaking of the word. Keep on doing that. That's what we need to do in this life till Christ returns.